The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Okay, well, now that our nice little, nice to see each other chatty session, well, yeah, happy open on date, everybody. I, I will start the more formal portion of our gathering, which is uh, calling this Committee of the Whole meeting to order for Monday, March 20th, here in beautiful Kalamazoo. And first order of business is the good clerk Borling calling the roll. Commissioner Decker. Present. Commissioner Hess. Present. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. Present. Commissioner Pradle. Present. Vice Mayor Cooney. Present. Mayor Anderson. Here. Thank you, Clerk Borling. Are there any communications, Manager Ritzma? None, Your Honor. All right. So uh, now is the opportunity for public comments for this Committee of the Whole meeting. Just a reminder that there will be an opportunity for public comments at our regular business meeting this evening. It starts at 7 o'clock. And how we're going to do the public comments is start with anyone in the chambers who'd like to make a comment. If there's anyone in the chambers, you will have two minutes. Please come forward, state your name, whether you live in the city. And I'll see if anyone in the chambers wants to come up. While we're just uh, waiting for that here, I'll just remind people that you can call in and make public comments for this meeting as well. Uh, That number is 888 382-9556. Yes, please, come forward. And there's a place you can sign in after you're done making your comments as well. Alrighty. All right, hello everyone, thank you. My name is Daniel Baer. Um, I live on Grove Street in Kalamazoo. Um, and I just wanted to make a, a 
a, co a public comment on the record um, regarding um, the smell that I experienced in my house. Um, I first want to say thank you. I appreciate the work um, of public servants of the city and the work that you do. Um, I know this is a challenging issue for Kalamazoo that has been going on for a while. Um, but um, So I live in the West Main Hill neighborhood, um, and we smell what we believe is um, odor from graphic packaging um, in our neighborhood. Seems to be happening more regularly um, in the past couple of years. Um, and um, so one, one thing that I've noticed last summer, I went to um, my daughter, Mara, sitting back there. I brought her tonight. Um, I could smell the odor in her bedroom when I went to get pick her up for her nap one day. Um, and that was really, to smell it in my house um, was, was really unsettling. Um, sometimes when we're having, trying to have dinner outside, it drives us inside of our house um, because the smell um, is quite bad and quite unpleasant. So, um, you know, I want to know, is this, primarily I want to know if this is hurting her. Um, I know this is a much bigger issue too, and I also want to acknowledge that this is a, a massive issue for um, North Side residents, for black residents of Kalamazoo, much more um, than in my neighborhood, but my neighbors are starting to notice it more. Um, my daughter goes to school at Northside Elementary School. It's also quite strong um, smell there, so she experiences it there as well. So um, I hope um, eight years ago when I moved to Kalamazoo, I hope I didn't move um, to what I've heard deemed um, a sacrifice zone, which is a really unsettling term um, for environmental justice concerns. Um, I hope this is something, I know this is something the city is taking seriously. Um, I saw um, in a movie that MLive did, um, Director Baker um, stated that there's no acceptable amount of odor for residents of Kalamazoo. So I hope we can have that. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Mary Andrew and I live on Dartmouth Street in West Main Hill neighborhood in Kalamazoo. And I wanted to piggyback off what Dan has already said um, I grew up in the area, I grew up in between Plainwell and Otsego, where we had two active paper mills when I was a kid. And I am now someone with reactive airways disease. Um, I don't know for certain if it's from the paper mills, but I do know that there are a lot of people on the north side complaining of similar issues with their breathing. And lately, the smell from graphic packaging have been daily. Um, notably, when I dropped my six-year-old off at, at Northglade, uh, Montessori Magnet School. We went there to get her used to the school um, playground before school started at the end of the summer. And the pollution was so strong that day that I just had a terrible headache. And I was so unsettled about sending my child there to a place where she doesn't have clean air to breathe while she's playing. And to think of all the residents who, who live right there, um, it's, it's troubling. And um, my husband and I try to report the odors as often as we smell them. Because we, we moved away for, I moved away for a bit um, and lived in Australia, I think I noticed the smell maybe more than people who have never left because it's, it's, more, um, it's more startling to me. It's, it's not something I've become accustomed to yet. Um, and so I do my best to report these odors um, to Eagle to the local office, um, but it is frustrating to, to learn that um, graphic packaging has expanded and now is, is polluting more often. We notice the smells a lot in the morning, especially like Monday morning, as if maybe production picks up over the weekend. Um, but 
I am, I'm just concerned about, about the people who are smelling this all the time, and I, and I don't want Kalamazoo to be an example for the rest of the country of environmental injustice. And I think we need to really fight to have pure emissions. Thank you. Anyone else in the chambers that wants to provide a comment for this public evening? Seeing no one else at this time, just a reminder, 888-382-9556 is the call-in number. Deputy City Manager Chamberlain, do we have anybody that's called in? We'll go ahead and check right now. We do not. Uh, thank you. As always, DCM Chamberlain, I appreciate you managing that. Uh, now we are down to the work portion of this uh, committee of the whole meeting, and I will turn it over to Manager Jim Mitzma. Well, thank you, Mayor, and uh, good to see everyone again. And um, tonight we're going to actually follow up from the retreat that we had uh, about a, a little over a month ago, and um, our Chief Operating Officer, Laura Lamb, and Assistant City Manager Rebecca Kick are going to walk us through um, the follow-up material and how we're going to plan for next year, 2024. Laura? Yes, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. Happy to be with y'all tonight. Hard to believe it was a month ago. Uh, I'm not sure if it feels like long or short, but time is hard to, uh, to concept. What do you think? Is it just slow? I'm impatient. We'll see. All right, so for tonight, a uh, couple things. We're going to do a retreat recap. Uh, obviously, for those of you that are there, this will be a reminder. Um, certainly want to make sure the public is up to speed on the hard work that we did on February 18th. We also want to bring you up to speed on what happened after the retreat and, and the work that staff has done to take those ideas and those programs and projects and concepts really try to work them through to figure out how can we take this work and use it to really advance the 2024 budget process. So we'll give you kind of the results of where we are from that input. Um, we'll spend some time digging into, in particular, the bold action of reducing juvenile victims of gun violence, talk about some of the easy and impactful wins, areas that we still need to explore, and then really want to leave here with a clear understanding of how the input that you've all provided is going to shape us up for a good 2024 budget development process. I'm not sure if this is working. Yeah. All right, we'll keep rolling. So by way of background, um, even though we, we launched this work uh, February 18th, there was a lot of work actually done leading up to that. Uh, as you may recall, October, we kicked off a budget training, really trying to familiarize ourselves and remind ourselves of the role of commission and the role of staff and how we work together to produce the budget and ultimately approve the budget. Uh, in November, uh, Jim and I met with each of you individually, really to kind of understand from your perspective and from all that you hear from on a daily basis, uh, what are the priorities that we need to be focusing on. In January, we then did surveys to really dive deeper into those themes, asking you what does success look like, how would you measure it, and really important question, what is the role of the city? We also had in January the results of our community survey um, come forward and helping us to identify in particular areas where we have our residents saying things are really, really important to us, 
but we see that there's room for improvement for the, for the city itself. So we try to take all that information to really help guide us for the retreat itself. The results were these priority themes. Thank you, Scott. The results, uh, these priority themes, um, really kind of giving us a sense of where we need to be focusing and how we need to shape the conversations for the retreat itself. So in terms of the retreat itself, um, as we talked about on that day, we know going into it, when you have hopes and aspirations for our community, it's really difficult to try to translate that into measurable outcomes and then prioritize. So we knew going into it, it was gonna be tough work. Um, we also know that our needs are greater than our easily available resources. We know that the city, in order to tackle some of the really complex projects and programs that are out there, we're gonna have to have the cooperation of our partners uh, to do that well. We also know that we constantly have to balance our community aspirations with this, the core services, the programs and projects that our residents expect from us every day. And I think we kind of held that tension very well as we jumped into the retreat. We know this is hard work, but we know that this hard work of aligning our priorities around the most impactful actions that the city can take is really gonna yield positive results. So that was really the, the retreat goals focused on that, that very thing. How do we align? How do we focus? How do we get a clear picture that can we can use as sort of a template to get us to the 2024 budget? And really with that, the retreat really launched us into the 2024 budget development. In terms of the framework, we had a facilitator, Ashley Kletke, who brought forward um, a framework to really help us think about our goals and our outcomes, the commission's goals and outcomes, and how we can use those for staff to develop strategies and measures. So this idea of the GOSM framework, goals, outcomes, strategy, and measures. We also would be remiss if we didn't mention Imagine Kalamazoo in every presentation, so we wanted to make sure we kept front and center that as we talk about these priorities, you can see that they are very grounded and very much in alignment with our overall 10 strategic goals. At the retreat itself, uh, we, we actually set up nine tables. We had each of the 10 topics represented. And here's a sample of one of the, the matrices at the table that allowed commission to go to the tables of most interest, allowed them to review the materials, allowed them to kind of jot down additional outcomes and really the work of those tables led us into our next exercise. So as we got the outcomes, the most important outcomes, grabbed those on post-it notes, and that set us up for probably the hardest work of the day, which was looking at impact and difficulty of each of those outcomes. So in impact, we wanted to think about how many lives are touched here, how many people are gonna benefit from this. We wanna understand sort of how much are we moving the dial? Does this, this work itself tie into an overarching strategy of the city that we've already committed to? And then from a difficulty standpoint, how, many how much resources are needed, right? What's the role of the city? Can we directly influence this outcome? What's the magnitude of change we're talking about? So this work led us into impact and difficulty one by one by one by one of assessing impact of an indiv individual outcome and then trying to assess the difficulty. So the results of all that hard work, we ended up with 15 bold actions, uh, 15 easy and impactful actions, eight in the explore category, and two in the parking lot category. So that's where we left off with the retreat. Exhausted, I felt accomplished, but we knew that it was just the beginning of the work. So following that retreat, we had actually convened uh, a large portion of staff 
to really dive in, dive into the details, to be able to look at kind of what came from the commission and then start asking some questions. We know for the bold action, the charge was, what's one bold action we want to accomplish in 24? That left 14 other items that we felt very strongly about that didn't make the cut. So how do we look at those actions and figure out, can we adjust the scale? Can we adjust the scope? Can this be scaled? Can this be phased? So really trying to unpack each of those items to understand how might we advance this in 24? Or how might we set this up for success in future years? With regard to the easy, you know, I had a couple of conversations with the directors at the retreat and I kept saying, don't be heroes, be real, be real. But I love our staff because in the moment, any one of them will say, I can do this one thing. But we had to ask about the compounding effect. If you've got 27 easy wins on your plate, is it still easy? So we really, we were, were trying to be that can-do attitude, but also trying to be real with what does it look like for us to say, can we actually do this? So we went through and tried to kind of figure out, okay, what can be done? What can be done with existing resources? What's gonna require additional resources? And how do we use that for the 2024 budget? So with that, we'll share with you kind of some details on the bold action. I've got Assistant Chief uh, Jude that's here that's gonna walk you through that top item, uh, reducing juvenile victims of gun violence. And then uh, Assistant City Manager Kick is gonna walk you through easy wins, both planned, we know we can do this, we've identified resources already, and then those easy wins that we know we're gonna have to look into the budget process to identify resources. We'll talk about areas that we still need to explore and areas even further where we gotta do a lot more work to get to. And then before we leave, we'll be able to talk with you about how all of this work gets incorporated into the budget process. So this is the result of staff analysis. We still have that bold action, but we see that we've moved, we've shifted some things around. Um, parking lot felt like where things go to die. We didn't like that as a term, right? That to me says to you all, we're gonna forget about this. And that is most certainly not the case. We said, no, this is under review. We want this to be an active action. We still gotta work through some of these items. Um, and so we wanna make sure we keep that still in the, in the active phase as opposed to put aside and forget about for later. So with that, I'd like to have Assistant Chief Jude up here to talk to you a little bit about public safety and their bold action. Thank you, well, Laura. Yeah, welcome, Assistant Chief. Welcome. Thank you so much, Mayor. City Manager, City Attorney, Vice Mayor, Commissioners, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for allowing me to uh, take part in the retreat uh, that we had uh, what seemed like uh, not too long ago, but in reality it was about 30 days ago. Um, you identified all through different analysis and conversations that day, uh, one of the items is a bold action. Uh, also identified an easy and impactful uh, outcome and then an exploring uh, opportunity for us here at Public Safety. The bold action that uh, you all came up with uh, that you wanted uh, Public Safety to look into is reduce juvenile victims of gun violence by 50%. Um, although I believe it is reachable, it is a tall order. And it's not only public safety uh, that is gonna be able to uh, uh, accomplish this goal by themselves. We play one layer um, in this and uh, we are one leg of the table. And it's when we all work together with not only public safety, but outreach and community partners that we're all gonna be able to succeed. And I'm gonna highlight some of those here for you shortly. So looking at uh, how we're going to accomplish this, uh, one, it's gotta be a balanced approach between not only outreach, but enforcement. Uh, 
Uh, with the outreach initiatives, we have several now that are in place and that we're currently working on. I think that uh, a lot of those uh, outreach initiatives are very successful, although they're adaptive, and then there's a lot of things that come up like a pandemic that uh, reduce some, some of the things that we uh, have to do. So uh, continuing on and continuing to mold those initiatives and being able to uh, work around some of those um, are gonna be very impactful. Uh, and I'd like to highlight uh, some of those outreach initiatives that we're currently doing. One of those is working with our Parks and Rec Department with our Police Athletic League. Uh, the Police Athletic League currently has 16 things on the schedule or 16 items and uh, uh, I would say uh, different events or um, uh, programs uh, throughout the summer and we're gonna get into those in a little bit. Uh, bridging Opportunities. Bridging Opportunities is a program that we've been working on for several years and uh, I've got some friends of mine here from um, the Boys and Girls Club that have come up here and talked with me uh, just a little bit more uh, in a few minutes about the successes and some of maybe some of the hurdles that they've seen from the Boys and Girls Club and, and partnering with us with the bridging opportunities. Group violence intervention is probably the longest standing um, program that we have been working on with reducing gun violence. I'll get into that a little bit more, but uh, group violence intervention is really geared towards adults and reducing gun violence with adults, but we have been able to take that and mold it and adapt it to work with some of our juveniles and because we know that the, right now the juveniles are uh, driving our gun violence in the city. With all that being said, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we're currently doing without our community partners. And I know there's a lot of community partners out there. I would like to highlight just a couple of them that we are working with, um, if not daily, but weekly. Uh, the Boys and Girls Club, first and foremost, like I said, we have some uh, representatives from the Boys and Girls Club that are working with us with our Bridging Opportunities Program. Uh, Urban Alliance, Isaac, Griffin Place, and the Kalamazoo uh, Community Foundation uh, is currently working with a long-term strategy that uh, to reduce gun violence uh, through prevention initiatives. And uh, there are uh, working sessions. I know that several of you have been through the initial phase and the initial training and meeting and then there's a workout sessions, and I believe the second work session for group one is this week, so uh, very excited to be able to share information and uh, come up with a long-term strategy that's gonna last long after we are all gone that uh, kind of sets the foundation for those that are going to be uh, following. With enforcement, uh, one, uh, one of the strategies that we really are looking at that uh, has been working for us is our focus deterrence, uh, and I'll get into focus deterrence a little bit uh, more, but uh, you know, there's really five things that focus deterrence does for us, uh, and one thing, five things that we look at. Uh, one, we want to identify who those uh, who are at risk uh, that are involved with gun violence. We um, have some type of intervention with those individuals that uh, we identify. So once we have that intervention, that could look like a call-in, it could look like a mediation. So we've identified them, we've brought them in, try to do some type of intervention with them. We uh, then provide them services uh, for those that want to change. And again, this is kind of molded around our GBI uh, strategy. Uh, fourth, uh, we look at community members and how community members can provide that ongoing support to those individuals that are listed at risk. And then also uh, the, at the very end, enhance uh, enforcement on groups or persons uh, that persist in that crime if they don't wanna uh, 
um, assist with those other four um, categories. So with that all being said, I'd uh, like to, I have the clicker, sorry. So I wanna show you some statistics on, you know, what are we currently doing? What do we need to mold and change? And is the things that we're currently doing working? And so just looking at the shooting statistics from 2016 to uh, end of 2022, you'll see that in 2016, 17, and 18, really when we were starting that GBA model and the things are really starting to um, get off the ground, there was some great work that was being done. And then you'll see this huge spike in 2020 and 2021. We all know that, that during that time frame we had the pandemic and what happened? Everything shut down, right? We had our social services shut down, our resources shut down, we stopped doing in-person meetings, we, um, the courts were delayed, uh, we had limited staffing, we were working off minimum staffing at public safety, the jail had to reduce staffing to, and reduce the amount of people that were in the jail. And so again, with those resources that were shut down, we had this huge spike uh, in shooting incidents. And that's not only, that is not looking just at Kalamazoo as recently at a neighboring uh, department uh, just outside of uh, Michigan, and we were comparing uh, what happened pre, during, and post uh, pandemic, and it was like looking in a mirror. The, the, the incidents uh, were almost exactly the same. So this is across the country. This is not something that's uh, just in Kalamazoo. So at the end of 2022, you'll see that the, uh, the shooting incidents, we're getting back to our uh, normal strategies and initiatives, and we were able to decrease uh, the, the shooting incidents and, and violence, uh, and that we were moving in the right direction by the end of 2022. If we continue to look at those stats for the last three months, you'll see a significant decrease. And I don't have those up here today, but I have a couple other um, statistics that I'll show you. Um, currently, we're, we're trending in the right direction. Looking at uh, violent crimes over the last, not only in the last seven days, the last 28 days, really what I would want, the number that I want to bring to your attention is in the lower right-hand corner, and that is our year-to-date totals. And it looks like uh, as of last week, Monday, those numbers are, uh, violent crime has decreased by 16%. Uh, again, that's year-to-date. This is the same uh, from last Monday, same statistics. Um, assaults with firearms were currently down 32% uh, year-to-date. One of the other categories that you identified that uh, we looked at it was going to be in the category of easy and impactful was increase the number of at-risk youth in city programming by 10%. So this is a little bit more difficult uh, just looking at it on the face because we didn't have that data in the past. So we didn't know how many at-risk youth were involved in city programming. So we're, I was able to work with our crime analysis uh, or a crime um, analyst to identify uh, individuals that would be listed as at risk. And at risk doesn't mean you have to be an offender. At risk could be you're a victim or a witness or involved uh, with those individuals. And so we wanted to really identify those individuals uh, that were at risk and how we're gonna be able to get them into city programming and what that looked like. So once we have the data and we're able to identify those individuals, and I get a printout every Monday morning of individuals who have had two or more police contacts within the last 30 days. And so I go through each one of those individuals 
cases to look and see what they're involved with and how we can get them the resources and get them into city programming. And one of the ways that we identified is I'm working with Parks and Rec and our police athletic league coordinator, Johnny Berry, to look at that list, find those kids, and then we're going to take that information to them. And so we have come up with a schedule for the police athletic league programs, the different trainings that they're doing, and we're going to go right to those kids with some community partners to share that information with them and pass along those activities. So through that data, I was able to look at it, and this is from last Monday's data. There are 39 youth that currently have two or more police contacts in the last 30 days. Also, we're working with CPS to identify some of those individuals who are going to be listed as at risk to make sure that those individuals also have the correct information to get into city programming. Lastly, we have the 2023 Bridging Opportunities Program. So this program has been something that's been in the works for quite a few years now, and you'll see that the number eight represents the number of kids that are involved in the program. These kids are what I would consider just maybe a little bit more than at risk. They've identified as, you know, they've been offenders in some of the programs. They're victims in some things, but they're also involved in the juvenile court system. And the Bridging Opportunities Program is something that we work with the juvenile probation, juvenile courts, the judges, and then community like Boys and Girls Club to bring these kids in to really mold these individuals and mentor them and give them the additional resources that they need. This isn't a short-term program like PAL that's maybe just a few weeks. Bridging Opportunities Program will go up to 38 weeks, and there's actually one individual that is going to be in a year-round program. So it's something that's very neat. Of the eight individuals that are listed or are going to be in the 2023 program, you'll see collectively they have 325 police involvements. That is police reports, arrests, and cases, which is a very significant number. I was very surprised on the number of those eight individuals. And again, that just goes back to ask us individually is, are we getting the right kids in the right programs and giving them the right resources? And I think that through working with our crime analyst, we have identified those individuals. And working with juvenile probation, we have been able to identify those individuals that are the most at risk and that need the resources that we're looking to provide to them. This is a list of individual kids and kind of their history and what they're involved with. And then if you look at the far right side, it shows that the number of cases they've been involved with law enforcement. Again, 325 collectively. At the most, there was one young person who had 85 police contacts since they've been having contact with law enforcement. So a very troubling number and a number that I believe that we can reduce through different programming. And looking at the past history of bridging opportunities, we've had a tremendous impact on these young people. And at this time, I'd like to bring up my friends from Boys and Girls Club, Matt and Lindsay, if you will allow them just to speak on behalf of the Boys and Girls Club and the work that they're doing with bridging opportunities and some of the hurdles that they've had to overcome 
and some of the, uh, um, and before we get to the next slide uh, and, and look at some of the outcomes that we've had for the kids that are going through that program, just wanted to have them say a few words. Matt? Thank you, and I, uh, I appreciate being with all of you this evening. Um, Welcome, Mr. Parkin. Hey, would you go ahead and introduce yes. uh, your partner here and uh, give us your last name as well? Matt Forkin, Boys and Girls Club, and Lindsay Rowell, Boys and Girls Club. Thank you. Um, so I, I, I appreciate um, everything Assistant Chief Juday has said um, and, and can't echo the sentiment enough about how important this program has been for, for our organization. Um, you'll see in a second here some of the data that we've had from the 2022 year. Um, since we've extended the program into a full year model. Um, for a long time, it was eight weeks in the summer. Um, and we did really great things in those, in those eight weeks. And we'd see social emotional learning games, and we'd see a reduce in police contact um, on, on both sides of what being a, a, a police contact can be. Um, but what we've seen by or extending the program into from 32 to 38 weeks um, has been incredible. Um, and you'll see some of those outcomes that we've seen that we'll, uh, we'll see here today, but the long-term ripple effect of this can be monumental. Um, and so we just wanted to say thank you for the, for the ability to be able to do this, because without the city's support, without KDPS's support, uh, there would be no way it would be possible. Um, but as we continue to grow this program, we continue to find the foundation, I truly believe, uh, that it has the power to change young people's lives um, and give them the advocacy and autonomy um, that all young people should have. Um, but we're proud of the work that we're doing here. Um, we know there's a lot to learn along the way. Um, but we work with young people um, that have stories and that have lives outside of the Boys and Girls Club that can be more challenging than most of the things that we've ever faced as adults in this room. Um, and so while the statistics are, they're, they're great to be able to see, to understand the full picture, um, being able to work with these young people every day and understand sometimes the tragedies and the triumphs and the things that we need to surround our young people with, the love, the resources to keep pushing them forward and moving them on, that our young people don't have to solve their problems themselves, that they don't need to be their own advocate all the time, um, that there are people that are here that care. Um, and by providing the funding, by providing the resources, by providing the support, um, that's what it's showing these young people. And so again, I appreciate all of your, all of your service towards making this happen. Um, but it'll be something that we'll stay committed to as an organization and look forward to working with you all in the future on this project. Thank you. And I want you guys to stay up here while we go to this next slide because this just shows the, the outcomes of the hard work that they're doing. And so these are the uh, 2022 um, pre-programming cases and post-programming uh, cases. Um, just looking at each individual case, uh, and the, this is information that was pulled from last week. Um, just collectively, uh, pre-programming cases, they had, uh, of the eight individuals, uh, 161 uh, in, or collective uh, cases, and then 13 arrests. And then post-programming, uh, which ended uh, just over three weeks ago, uh, there were seven uh, collective cases uh, where they had police contact and three arrests. And you look at that post-programming arrests, all but one had zero arrests. And so that's just, uh, um, you know, very fortunate uh, to be able to work with uh, community to uh, share information and be able to get the right kids in the right programs for the right reasons. So thank you very much, Boys and Girls Club. Thank you. Thanks for your work. Appreciate it. 
I want to go back to the uh, PAL or police, uh, police Athletic League just a little bit. This is a list of some of the events that uh, they have going on. Like I said, there's 15 uh, currently scheduled throughout the summer. Uh, we've got some of the programs have already started or in the early uh, phases of starting. Um, I would like to highlight that uh, one of the programs that are starting right now is at uh, Maple Middle Street, or, I'm sorry, Maple uh, Street Middle School, and that uh, that is the boxing uh, clinic where they're doing endurance training and they're working on fundamentals of boxing. Uh, one of the teachers there is uh, one of the coaches, and uh, it's, it's, it's a great program. I had uh, some of our staff members uh, go there, do the endurance training with the kids, and they said, man, it is a workout. Uh, they were very sore the, the uh, next day, but our community policing unit got to go uh, there with the middle, stu uh, middle school students and uh, do some of that endurance training with them, and they absolutely loved it. Uh, great uh, for building uh, those relationships. Uh, one thing that we had a uh, staff meeting today with our um, uh, executive team for the recruiting team, and we talked about that we wanted our recruiters to be more involved with the Police Athletic League uh, because that's our next uh, generation of city employees. And we wanna make sure that they're staying engaged and they have the resources and the information available to them. So our recruiting team, our community policing team, and then our uh, patrol uh, division is gonna be doing more uh, activities and, and being seen out there with our, uh, our activities throughout the summer with the Police Athletic League. I won't go through all of the uh, uh, programs that we have throughout the summer, but just to highlight a few of them. Uh, the boxing, like I said, is going on now. We've got soccer starting uh, very soon. Uh, flag football, uh, fishing with the DEA, and then there's uh, some youth uh, football uh, combines uh, that will be getting uh, started very shortly. Uh, Midsummer, we have a lot of basketball leagues for kids and adults, um, and then to end with some football leagues and some basketball and wrestling. So great work that uh, Parks and Rec and uh, Mr. Johnny Berry is doing uh, with the Police Athletic League. All right, and lastly, uh, in the Explore category, and this is kind of a hot topic, and I know, uh, Mr. Mayor, we have talked about this offline a couple different times and how it's very impactful when people do Google searches and look at Kalamazoo, and if you can see Kalamazoo on a list and where we're ranked. Um, so I've done some research on this, and I think that uh, we can, one, approve on um, our ranking, if you will. Uh, but just looking at a lot of those websites that list or rank uh, different cities and, and municipalities, uh, there's some warnings on the, uh, the different places that collect this data. So looking at this, like the state of Michigan, who collects the microcodes and, and the crime data, and then looking at the FBI, who also uh, collects the crime data. There's some warnings that they put on their website uh, for the general public to um, have know and for people who are collecting the data. And I'd like to read those warnings to you uh, tonight just so uh, that you can make it to fair that there are so many different variables out there when collecting this data that could skew uh, a city or a ranking um, and where they could be ranked at. And so those, uh, the Michigan Incident Crime Reporting Warning uh, states, users are cautioned against performing trend analysis or ranking agencies or cities. And then the FBI, also their uniform crime reporting, uh, also warns, uh, stating the FBI has longstanding policy against ranking participating law enforcement agencies on the basis of crime data alone. 
Despite the repeated warnings against these practices, some data users continue to challenge the misunderstand this position. Now, although there are these warnings that are out there, again, some data collectors still rank cities based on those warnings, and that's where you see, you know, if you look up, if you just Google the top 10 most dangerous cities in Michigan, every one of those individual websites has a city ranked in a different spot because they are basing their data and their research on different variables, and because there's so many different variables, it puts us in a different spot. So what are we doing with uh, the data that uh, we are re um, reporting out? One thing that I, one way that I believe that we can uh, reduce or get off that top 10 list is an internal audit, uh, review audit and training. So currently our staff uh, reports manually and I believe that there's some human error in some of the reporting. And we, our goal is to make sure that we are reporting the most accurate data that we can. Um, we're also reviewing crime data um, and the different trends. We're reducing uh, crime through focused deterrence and then supporting, uh, having a supported record management system. So currently our record management system does not automatically send over the crime data, something like I said, they have to manually input and that has to be inputted by the first of March every year. And then there's a hard stop at uh, March 1st. So if a municipality, let's say, anywhere in Michigan uh, reports their data and they're only at 65% completion on reporting their data at that March 1st date, that's a hard stop. So only 65% is reported. So that may move them from a top 10 to a top you know, 75. And so that is incomplete data and I think that is, we are very efficient and we do a, a good job getting our data recorded in a timely manner. Also, uh, we report um, all of our data accurately. So I think that part of uh, where the problem is, uh, one, we may be over-reporting, and again, that's where that review and audit and training comes in uh, to play. To give an example of uh, an over-reporting, uh, take uh, uh, a larceny um, as an example. If we're all shopping at a, uh, for Christmas and we're all three of us are all together and we leave items in the vehicle and we go into another store, and somebody breaks into the car and steals all of our items, there's three victims there, right? Three individuals, personal property, but it's one incident. So the incident is reported as one, but if, it are, if we're having a human error and reporting it as three separate incidents, it's gonna show up three separate larcenies. So again, during that review audit and training process, training our staff to make sure that they're not over-reporting, and we have found some errors just of recent that we were over-reporting. So we need to make sure that uh, we're just correctly doing that. And that is it for my presentation, unless anybody has any questions. Uh, thank you so much for your presentation. I appreciate it. Nice to have you here. Questions, commissioners, this time? I guess not at this time. Thank, thank you. you, Assistant Chief Juday. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the other data that got sorta, sorted that um, Laura started to uh, discuss with you. So the easy and impactful. So these were the items that 
staff felt uh, as you as we prioritized on how impactful they would be and then how difficult they would be, many of these things were already ongoing. They're programs that were already been supporting or uh, we knew that they already had funding um, available. So for example, we've been doing youth programs. So we, we've had that in our easy and impactful. However, all of these items still need funding. So our staff will still be putting forward special budget requests um, so that we can still rank which of these gets funded. And that goes for all of these programs as well, which include uh, the gun violence intervention programs, uh, other sidewalk programs, uh, DEI, and youth. We do have some that we, again, have ongoing programs or all are already funded. For example, our uh, lead services replacement, we are mandated to do 500 lead services. We have the funding to do that. Uh, however, materials or supplies could change that number, right? So we have the funding there. If everything goes well, we could certainly meet that number, but this is something that we would report out to you that in addition to our 28 homes for lead paint remediation, we have the funding for that through our HUD uh, lead hazard grant, and uh, we would be able to complete those, again, pending all of the labor and materials and work to do that as well. A couple other uh, in our communications that we felt could be easy wins. Um, for increasing likes on our city page and increasing good media exposure. Now in the Explorer category, these are ones that staff really needs, when we had our retreat, we started to think through strategies. Um, what could we change in terms of scale or scope, adjusting targets or breaking up the scope for success? And so um, when, when we went through each of these, these are gonna need more exploration and obviously would also need more funding. So these might get uh, broken up into multiple planning, uh, planning year and then an execution year as well. So know that we are tracking these ones in our explorer category, but the scale and the scope needs to be adjusted to make it uh, easier for us to uh, complete. And then lastly, the most difficult ones that are under review, many of these were in the bold action category. This is where either significant data, partnerships, further planning, or needs to be broken into multiple stages. So when staff looked over each of these, uh, because they weren't directly in the sphere of influence of the city necessarily, uh, we felt like we needed to be sure to contact other partners, make sure that uh, we could move these forward for success. So the most number, which is 17 of the uh, projects um, and priorities that you had ranked. And then the other part of this was we took into consideration how you voted on many of these, why they didn't end up in explore, but may have ended up in the under review category was because it didn't get any votes. And so we took that also as a, all right, if this isn't a major priority for you, we will also bring it down on the under review list um, as opposed to something that was in explore, which got uh, more votes.
and then you should have all of these listed in front of you. If you have any questions about any of those individually that you would like to discuss. Questions, any of the categories. Thank you, Mayor. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a number of them. Um, mm -hmm. Under safe community environmental justice, reduce the community odor impact. Okay, we've been hearing about that already tonight. Mm -hmm. We've been hearing about it. My question is, is the odor, which is terrible, mm -hmm. a symptom? It's a, it's a symptom of something deeper that's making people sick. Are we looking at that? Mm -hmm. Are we exploring that? I mean, if, if we want to mm -hmm. make a safe community, I think we first have to define the problem. I know, I'm mm -hmm. not sure that we've really defined the problem, right. what's making people sick. And, and I've been hearing that we're mm -hmm. waiting for the state to come back and come back. But I, I think we have to really dig in this year to define that problem. Mm -hmm. Right, and so the one goal that we do have that is on our list, which is to reduce the community odor impact from the wastewater treatment plant for the work that we're doing there, that's in our sphere of influence right. and that's what we're doing. Oh. But absolutely, um, I would have to have Director Baker discuss the rest of the odor task force or work that um, would, be, would be done outside of that scope. Okay, okay. okay. Um, I wanted to ask about the housing thing. This really yeah. sounds great. Mm -hmm. um, very ambitious stuff. Um, let's see, back here. Could you, what is the Kalamazoo Attainable House Homes Initiative? Mm -hmm. So the Kalamazoo Attainable Homes Initiative is the work that we've been doing for the last three years with Kalamazoo Neighborhood Housing Services and the Local Initiative Support Corporation, along with the Pathways Home uh, Project through Open Doors. So we've been building anywhere between 10 and 14 homes per year for the last three years. So we felt that um, right now increasing that by 30%, so 10 homes to 13 homes, or you know, being able to increase that would be a reasonable increase. Um, so because we already have the partnership, we've had that program uh, working already. Right. And so it would be going back to our partners, making sure that we could meet that increase, uh, and then asking for the appropriate amount okay. of budget uh, to be able to meet that increase. Good, thank you. Yes. Okay, uh, and you had another thing on housing here that I wanted to ask you about. Sure. Um, if I can find out. 300 multifamily housing mm -hmm. units. Yes. How's that going to happen? So this year we have planned to do 355 um, housing units. And the reason that this is an explore is because, so for 2023, we had a pipeline of folks coming in. We had two low-income housing tax credit projects, and then we had other developers that we've been working with for the last couple of years. The reason this is an explore is so that we can go back to some of our developers, look at our pipeline, make sure that we can succeed at getting 300 units online. It's quite possible, but uh, we just need to make sure that we, we plan for it appropriately. Okay. And then again, we also understand what the budget ask for that would be uh, to actually 
follow through with 300 units and what that would look like. Um, again, uh, Sherilyn Parsons, our housing development coordinator, when she presented to you on the housing strategy, she had some rough calculations about how much it costs to uh, invest in an, a multifamily unit versus a single family unit. And we could have that breakdown for you also. Because I know uh, during our conversations at the retreat with some of the commissioners, we talked about the need for um, an array of housing from duplexes to fourplexes, sixplexes, um, single family homes. So when we come back with a full budget proposal, we would have that 300 units broken out and have a cost alongside of that. Okay, thank you. Okay. I just have one yes. more, and that's under um, Share Prosperity Youth, mm -hmm. all youth exposed to the trades profession. Mm -hmm. um, do we have any word on when that uh, K-RISA trade school is going to be um, enacted? That I don't have information on. No, and, and this is something that's in our under review, and so that's certainly something I could um, get in touch with you. And I mean, that's not the only thing we could do with that. I mean, there's plenty right. of other ways that we can expose people to trade here, Absolutely. but I know that would be mm -hmm. a major kind of thing, but Commissioner has to know. Right, and I think that that's where, yeah, we would like to see which partners are already um, working with you, where are they already there, and how can we just partner to be able to expose them in the way that you're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Vice Mayor Cooney, I, I did hear 24, 25, the building would be up and running and complete, and along with that programming through KRISA. And um, I had a meeting today at uh, room 35, and they're doing these, there's, we have all kinds of people in this town that are doing things in the trades that um, I think if they all were able to convene, oh, maybe through the city, um, be a convener of these folks that are working in the trades, with the trades, with youth, um, we, can, we can really make a dent in all of this. Great, yeah, I know that the, the unions are very interested in this, um, meeting with young people and exposing them to these things. So um, <clears throat> I apologize for my absence at the retreat, um, but we had a chance to sit down with Laura and um, Jim. And I think the, the biggest thing for me when it comes to <clears throat> how the community views this is the strategicness behind it, mm -hmm. right? Knowing what the city is capable of doing, right? and doing that to the best of our ability, which we see that on paper, like, okay, these are the things we're already doing that they talked about the retreat that we can say, okay, we can put that in that category and we can say we're, we're making gains and grounds there. But also when you look at the, review, the, the under review part, I think it's very important for the community to really look at that section because it's a section where we need the community to step in and step up into. The city can only do so much, right? And I think when it comes to the core services, I mean, we do pretty good. Well, I mean, we're one of the only cities that can say by 2035, we're gonna have every lead pipe removed from the house, right? And that is a huge accomplishment. And to have a goal like that 
is astronomical, right? We can manage that. We can do that work. But there are some things that the city just can't do. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be, you know, giving support to individuals or mm -hmm. to organizations or to churches or to businesses to take the lead on such a thing, mm -hmm. like reducing poverty and, and you know, uh, mm -hmm. closing the reading gap, right? Mm -hmm. That's something we as commissioners have to really champion and, and get out there and get people inspired to do something. Um, I am very um, just, you know, blown away about the work you guys do. You know, Jim, you and your team, your team makes you look really good. I just want you to know that, that Laura, you guys do a phenomenal job at making Jim look really great, right? And Jim, your leadership, you know, you could see it. But it's obvious that there's a gap between what we can accomplish as a community when it comes to the strategic planning stuff, right? Um, as a city, I mean. And then what can we accomplish more as a community when it comes to collective impact, right? And so I think for us, as a, as a, as a team up here, we have to look at that and say, okay, these things made it in the under review section. Why and who can we help get into that position to make a difference? Mm -hmm. I, I'm like the city doesn't have to be the champions at everything. We, we don't have to be like put our name on. No, it doesn't have to be that. The city can take a back seat on some of this stuff, right? And and give way to creating an like an atmosphere and an ecosystem where others can thrive and grow, and even teach us. We're not experts. We only know what we know, Director Baker, right? We only know what we know, and we do good at it, right? We're really good at it, right? When I think about Director Baker, man, I think he's like really good at his job, right? Because he knows what he knows, right? And there's some things in the review, in the under review uh, part where it's like, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I know there's somebody out there who does and somebody who's probably willing to do the work and get us in a better place as a community. And so mm -hmm. I appreciate all the work that's gone into this. And I think it's, you know, it's up to us as commissioners to help support the under review stuff. Thank you. Super, super helpful, Commissioner Warren. So I appreciate that. Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, yes, thank everyone in the team for putting this together. It was a great, great time on that Saturday. And I think we all came to kind of an understanding of certain things that we wanted to see move forward in the city. Um, so I'm looking at some of the ones for the easy and impactful um, if funding is available. Um, I feel that we're going to be able to get a lot of funding for some of these because we now have a new grants um, team member that will be able to help us out with that. I believe her name is Amanda. 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 Mm -hmm. So that is awesome. Um, so I think bringing that position on is really going to allow us to go after some of these funds to get some more of this work done. Um, and the easy and impactful, I just noticed, you know, communication and community relations. Um, again, Commissioner Prado and Deputy, Deputy Director, or Deputy Lamb has been working together to get that stuff out to the neighborhood associations. Um, I do, I know it says plan for 2024, but I think that there's good stuff that happens every day. Um, there's no reason, I don't think that we shouldn't be able to kind of up that increase a little bit while we're still here in 2023, Mr. Smith. 
Oh, definitely. Things will be <laughs> happening in 2023, but this is just our planning for the budget in 24. Yeah. We got to make sure we get that in there. Prepared for that. Yep. Um, when you talk about the Explore, I really like the, um, the sustainability for the Beehive. Um, and as Commissioner Juarez says, there's other individuals and organizations that are doing things. Um, and I think that once we start to explore that one more, I feel that there are places like, say, again, the Boys and Girls Club, Girl Scouts of Southwest Michigan, that we can probably reach out to and be like, hey, let's work together on this. Partners. And but let them lead that. Absolutely. Um, and then for the under the review, again, you guys captured pretty much everything that we said. And I love that format because we had everything on the sticky notes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, I do know for uh, in the environmental and responsibility, um, we have on there increased residential usage of solar panels by 10%. Mm -hmm. I think that could be something we take, you know, a closer look at also only because I know within the Energy and Environmental um, Policy Committee in Lansing that they're actually pushing to get that move forward to be able to give better discounts to the residents mm -hmm. in Michigan. So I like that. You guys did a great job. I appreciate everything you put together for us. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Commissioner Decker. Other thoughts or comments about this? Commissioner Hess. Just one brief comment. Um, mm -hmm. uh, having listened to Missy Stoltz, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to her from Ann Arbor. Uh, she's the sub sustainability coordinator for Ann Arbor for A20. Um, on Saturday, she was at the library and fantastic stuff. And again, rose the red flag about um, environment and environmental sustainability. And I would love for us as we work into IK 30, 2035, the sustainability pretty much drives that bus because we need to get on board. Um, and I love that we're looking at converting the city fleet. Um, they've kind of done that in Ann Arbor. So uh, come on, Kalamazoo, we can do this. So um, just I, I want to thank you for your work. I've, and this is wonderful. And it's all been sure. moved. Um, one of the things that Missy did say, we talked about planting 500 trees. That's in our, what you say, our sphere of influence, mm -hmm. right? Our sphere yes. of influence is, you know, city property, the right of way. Yeah. Uh, however, they have a program where they can provide trees for people for their private property. Um, and I, I think that we can, you know, we can increase it and we can increase our tree canopy uh, by using and collaborating with all the people in the city. So thanks for everything, Rebecca. Yeah. Thank you, Commissioner Hess. Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I apologize, I just want to go back and um, also bring the recognition to Assistant Chief Duday when he talks about the PELs and the GBI, the bridging opportunities. Um, these are all geared towards our youth. And that, if I believe correctly, was our number one yep. sticky note that had red dots on it. Bold and action. Yes, that was our bold action. And I appreciate you guys coming and coming forth and talking about what you guys are working on and continuing to work on because the numbers do show that over the time things are decreasing. And again, I believe it is with our intervention, the city's intervention, um, our public safety and all of the organizations here. Thank you.
Thank you, okay. Commissioner Decker. So just, we're not at the end of our presentation yet, just so everybody knows that. All right, so we got a little bit more to go. Any other comments? <laughs> Every the comedian, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to turn it back over to Chief Operating Sounds Officer good. Lamb so she can wrap it up and give you your next steps. Thank you. Ms. Cake. All right. Uh, so one of the things that was actually surprising to us as we sort of took apart all the input and put it back together is we managed to hit each of the priority areas but not just hit it in their broadest theme, we now know under those broad themes we've got very specific outcomes that we've identified that staff can now look to create strategies and measures. So we know we came from the five priorities and those served us well, but we talked at the retreat that when we're too broad, we can all be thinking that we're working on the same housing goal only to find out that we've got different goals. So I think what's helpful is we can look and say the priority themes we started with were affirmed, they remain, but rather than leave them in this broad form, we can now go under each of those and say, we know as a, as a team, gun violence reduction is important across the board, but we know for 24, priority number one is we want to keep our youth safe. And we're obviously, we know our public safety partners and our team, we're gonna work across all fronts, but we know that we need to have additional work and support in that area. So it's exciting to see that we, we covered our bases, but we know under each of those bases that we've got work to do we know what success looks like, and now we have to figure out the strategies and how we measure that success. So as we've talked about, the priorities, the outcomes that emerge from the retreat are going to inform the special request process, which is going to be kicking off uh, in April. Uh, we also know that now that we have a clearer sense of those priorities, this is actually should be an easier process. Go back to those five priorities. We last year, I think, had over 120 special requests submitted. Um, staff doing a ton of work uh, putting these requests together, more staff doing a ton of work reviewing these proposals, and we know we don't have enough resources to even begin to come close. That's a lot of work left on the table when we have staff that want to be doing that work in the community. So now that we've got a clear sense of where you are all, the most important outcomes, we can likely reduce those number of requests to focus where they're most needed, have less time on the paperwork going in, less time reviewing, more time to get to the work. So that's just another reminder that when we do the hard work up front, we are hoping that's going to pave the way for smoother work throughout the budget process. So Rebecca mentioned easy, impactful uh, outcomes. Those themselves can go right into the special request process. We know in the explore category, we have some things we have to unpack a little bit and pick some of those into um, special request. And then certainly with under review, we want to make sure we're clear what steps can we take right now to advance, having conversations with community partners, what might we do now to set these up for bold actions in 25 and beyond? So the work's going to keep continuing. Also want to acknowledge that we will have requests coming in from departments. You all spend time approving plans we bring before you. We want to make sure that we're fulfilling those commitments. So we will certainly prioritize these outcomes we've discussed tonight. We'll also look at requests coming in from the departments and how those projects could align with those themes we just talked about. So you've got kind of multiple opportunities for your input to shape our budget. So we keep saying why this focus is important, right? We want to have impact and we want to make the best use of our resources. And we have to acknowledge that although we still have ARPA funds we're working through, um, we have a lot of ideas, we have a lot of plans, and those, that big pot of money starts to dwindle when you start to, start to pack, unpack those dollars year after year. 
We also know, and we've had conversations all throughout last year, that the Foundation for Excellence with regard to aspirational project dollars might look different in 24. Uh, the board meeting they just had recently, there was discussion that that aspirational project budget might be zero, right? We know that we have an endowment. The board is, is, is um, set to protect the endowment, to build the endowment, so the FFE model can continue in perpetuity. If that's the case, we have to be very mindful that that decision could then put burdens on our ARPA funds and our CIP dollars and our general fund dollars. So I, don't, I say that just as a reality check, that that's why this focus work is so important, is if we've got less resources to work with, we want to make sure we're targeting at the most important places. We also know last year, you guys approved, or this year, you approved your 23 budget, and we had some tentative multi-year plans for ARPA. We now need to revisit some of those assumptions based on the conversations that we've been having and to take the priorities that we've talked about and say, to what extent might we need to adjust our multi-year budget? We know at the end of 24, we have to have all of our ARPA funds planned for, and we know we have to have them spent by the end of 26. So this work is gonna serve us really well to come for you for a 24 budget, as well as that multi-year finalized. So in terms of next steps, uh, I mentioned to you the work staff's gonna keep at it. We wanna make sure we continue to keep checking in with you all, um, knowing that there's times where we go behind the curtain and do work. We benefit by letting you all know what we've been, let you all know what we've been up to so those periodic check-ins can make sure that we're moving on the same path. We'd envision probably June we can come back and do more of a formal update. Here's where we are, here's where we are with the special request process. But we also plan on using your check-ins with Jim and periodic uh, opportunities we have to talk with you all just to make sure that you know what we're doing, you know the outcomes, you know where we're trending, and then to continue to get your input. Uh, the budget request process is launching next April, I'm sure this April next month. Uh, I'm sure staff's very excited about that process, but as I mentioned, they might be celebrating the fact that there's less, less requests to turn in because we've got good focus, um, but we'll continue to work through the numbers, we'll continue to work with you all, continue to provide updates. Um, and with that, we are done. I'd be happy to take more questions than um, what you've already shared with Assistant Manager Kick. Thank you, Laura Lamb. I appreciate it. Questions for Laura Lamb at this point that haven't already been answered? So I don't see it this time. Hey, I just, just want to make a comment here, just to remind all of us, of course, and everybody who's watching, is that this retreat and this work is about beginning, I want to be very sure that we're clear about this. We're not trying to figure out what we're doing this year. We, we did an extensive process that began last year and, and went through our date in January, we approved this year's budget. Our calendar year is our fiscal year. It started January 1st, goes through December 31st. So we have a budget and activities funded by that budget that are approved for this year. And certainly there's always opportunity for rethinking and some adjustment, but the, the momentum to create the basis for programs is having some certainty about you have a budget and you, you can uh, use staff time to execute on that budget knowing that, that, that the plan is set. So what we're talking about here is beginning to build as in effective way as possible our aspirations and what that look like, looks like in a 2024 budget. So thank you for doing this work. Uh, your whole team here, the whole city team. I just wanna say one other thing that I wanna tag on the end of that because I just wanna make sure about our language. And, and I appreciate 
you know, uh, Rebecca Kick talking about what using maybe terminology, you know, we're going to build 135 housing units this year or something. So I just want to make sure that in, in that discussion, we is the greater we. It is the community we when we talk like that, that the city itself is not building, owning, managing housing. We, and basically, how do we even get to a number like that? It is through leveraging of other resources and working with our partners. So uh, I just want to make sure that when we talk about this work, and I know we're all aware of it, this is much of this work still is work that is not necessarily, it's city, not necessarily city driven, it's city assisted. And without the great partners, and we, we had some of our partners here with us tonight on our, on our bold action, but without our partners in every single area, all the work that happens in community, then uh, we wouldn't have the luxury of, of standing up here and saying, hey, here's great things that are happening in the city. So I want to recognize all our partners, all the leveraging that occurs, and just make sure that, uh, I guess when it does come to things, uh, Director Baker, like potholes, you know, I guess we can, as much as possible, you know, take the credit and take the blame for certain things. But when it, when it comes to our broader planning, this is a community endeavor altogether. So I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Okay, commissioners, we're good. Um, so just a reminder here, uh, first I want to say thank you to, uh, to Manager Risma and staff for coming back as you said you would from our retreat and trying to provide some follow-up on that and clarification and the idea that we're going to continue to have these discussions as we go forward and continue to have clarification on that. So we, we have come to the end of our agenda here for this Committee of the Hall meeting and our business meeting starts in 45 minutes at 7 o'clock. A reminder, another opportunity for public comments at that meeting either if you're present here in the chambers, you can call in. Uh, so once again, thank you. Good to see everybody, and I'll see you in a few minutes. We're adjourned.